Welcome to Defenders, the teaching class of Dr. William Lane Craig. Today, an excursus on natural theology, part 17. For more resources from Dr. Craig, go to reasonablefaith.org. Today, we are going to draw our discussion of the argument for a designer of the universe based on the fine-tuning of the universe to a close. And we'll probably finish early today unless there's a considerable degree of discussion that you want to have on this material. Now, we saw last time that neither chance nor physical necessity provides a plausible explanation of the remarkable fine-tuning of the universe for the existence of embodied conscious observers. These explanations are highly improbable, highly implausible. But we cannot infer immediately to design because sometimes it can be justified to believe in an improbable explanation. You would be justified in believing in some improbable explanation just in case there were no better explanation available of the phenomenon in question. To borrow an example that David Manley uh, used, uh, imagine uh, someone uh, in a baseball game standing at home plate with his bat, and he hits the ball uh, over the fence and hits a pigeon flying by. Now that would be amazingly improbable. Um, and yet you would probably say that it was just by chance that he hit the pigeon. Why is this chance explanation of this highly improbable event acceptable? Well, because there's no better explanation available in that case. The idea that the batter aimed at the pigeon and designed to hit it by swinging the bat so the ball would hit the pigeon is even more incredible and unbelievable. You, you can't hit a pigeon with a baseball by swinging a bat and trying to hit it. So, in the case that there's no better explanation available, accepting the highly implausible explanation can be justified. But suppose a better explanation is available. So, uh, to illustrate, suppose that there is someone standing with a rifle on home plate, and he shoots a pigeon in the distant outfield and kills it. In this case, it would be enormously improbable to say that he was standing there just fired randomly into the air and struck the pigeon. And you wouldn't accept that explanation. Why? Well, because there's a better explanation available, namely that the man aimed to hit the pigeon and could do with a rifle what you couldn't do with a baseball bat, namely put your bead on that pigeon and bring it down. So in this case, the improbable explanation, namely it's just by chance that he shot the pigeon, would not be the best explanation because there's a better explanation available. So the question we're facing now with regard to the fine-tuning of the universe is, is design a better explanation than chance or physical necessity? If it is a better explanation, then we ought to adopt it. But if it is just as implausible, just as improbable as chance or necessity, then it would enjoy no advantage over them. So let's ask ourselves what objections might be raised against the inference 
that there is an intelligent designer of the cosmos who fine-tuned the universe to be life-permitting. Well, sometimes detractors of design will object to the design hypothesis because the cosmic designer himself remains unexplained. It gives an explanation of the design in the universe, but what about the cosmic designer? What explanation is there of his design? This is what uh, Richard Dawkins calls, and I quote, the central argument of my book, The God Delusion. And he summarizes this argument, which is, again, the, the central argument of, of the whole book, The God Delusion. Here's how he summarizes it in six steps. Number one, one of the greatest challenges to the human intellect has been to explain how the complex, improbable appearance of design in the universe arises. I'll read that again. One of the greatest challenges to the human intellect has been to explain how the complex, improbable appearance of design in the universe arises. Two, step two, the natural temptation is to attribute the appearance of design to actual design itself. The natural temptation is to attribute the appearance of design to actual design itself. The reason the universe looks designed is because there is a designer. Three, step three, the temptation is a false one because the designer hypothesis immediately raises the larger problem of who designed the designer. So the temptation is a false one, one that we should resist, because the designer hypothesis immediately raises the larger problem of who designed the designer. Number four, the most ingenious and powerful explanation is Darwinian evolution by natural selection. Now there he's talking about biological complexity, the appearance of design in animals and plants. And he says the most ingenious and powerful explanation is Darwinian evolution by natural selection. Number five, we don't have an equivalent explanation for physics. And here he's talking about fine-tuning. He's no longer talking about those uh, examples of the appearance of design in the animal and plant kingdoms. Here he's talking about physics and the fine-tuning of those fundamental constants and quantities uh, for the universe. And he says, number five, we don't have an equivalent explanation for physics. Six, we should not give up hope of a better explanation arising in physics something as powerful as Darwinism is for bio biology. So don't abandon hope. Number six is we should not give up the hope of a better explanation arising in physics, something that will be as powerful as Darwinism has been for biology. Conclusion, therefore, God almost certainly does not exist. <laughs> now, I think Everyone in this class will find that conclusion jarring because the atheistic conclusion, quote, therefore God almost certainly does not exist, 
end quote, doesn't follow from the previous six statements, even if we concede that every single one of them is true. There are no rules of logic that would permit you to derive such an inference. There are no rules of logic that would draw that atheistic conclusion from the truth of those six statements. So the Dawkins argument is just plainly invalid. The central argument of the God delusion is a patently invalid argument. Now at most, what might follow from Dawkins' argument? <clears throat> well, at most, I think what would follow is that we shouldn't infer God's existence on the basis of the appearance of design in the universe. We ought not to infer that there is a cosmic designer on the basis of the appearance of design in the universe. That would be the most, I think, that his argument would prove if its premises were all true. But notice that conclusion is entirely compatible with God's existence. And it's even compatible with our justifiably, uh, justifiably believing in God's existence. Uh, the fact that you shouldn't infer to a designer on the basis of the appearance of design says nothing about whether God exists or not. It's entirely compatible with the existence of God. And maybe we should believe in God, not on the basis of the design argument. Maybe we should believe in God on the basis of the cosmological argument, or the argument from contingency, or the moral argument. Or maybe our belief in God isn't based on arguments at all. Maybe it's properly basic, uh, grounded in our religious experience or in divine revelation. The point is that rejecting design arguments for God's existence doesn't do anything to prove that God doesn't exist or uh, even that belief in God is unjustified. So Dawkins' lack of philosophical depth is plainly on display here. Any discussion or question about the invalidity of Dawkins' argument? Yes, let's get the microphone down here to Kevin, and we'll take his comment. Um, Dr. Craig, oftentimes many uh, theists, when they give arguments for God's existence, are accused of God of the gaps. Yeah. Um, wouldn't, when he says we should hope for a better explanation, oh. <laughs> isn't he... Isn't this like atheism of the gaps, is what I'm trying to say? I, I think you're right, Kevin. Remember statement five, or no, statement six was, we should not give up hope of a better explanation arising in physics. I think that is naturalism of the gaps. Um, we don't have an explanation now, but let's not give up hope. Um, there's no reason to think such an explanation will be forthcoming. So yeah, the, I think what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander here. Notice that what we're using the evidence for is to argue that physical necessity and chance are not good explanations. And many scientists would agree with those conclusions. Dawkins himself would agree that physical necessity is not a good explanation. And he will present arguments against thinking the fine-tuning is due to physical necessity. By contrast, uh, many uh, astrophysicists will say that chance is not a good explanation. Um, and they'll hold out hope for a physical explanation in physical necessity, but they'll, they'll reject the chance explanation or multiverse hypotheses. So 
a secular scientist themselves will often reject chance and physical necessity as explanations of the fine-tuning. So I don't think that there's a, an objectionable God of the gaps reasoning going on here, but I do think you're right in seeing this as a kind of naturalism of the gaps. Bruce. Well, two things, I think. First of all, he, he jettisons the, the key, keystone element of the scientific method, which is observation. He said, you can't trust your observations. So uh, if, if the universe appears, or the biosystem appears to be designed, that's, you're, you're, you're rejecting observations if you say, well, you know, you can't uh, presume a, a design. And then secondly, it's... Well, let me, let me just say something uh, on his behalf here. Uh, he, had, he doesn't deny the appearance of design. He, he agrees that it, our observations are that the world is apparently designed. Um, but as we've seen, he thinks there's a good naturalistic explanation of this so that you don't need to punt to... Uh, a, a supernatural explanation. He, remember, he thinks that Darwinian evolution, based on natural yeah. selection, will explain biological complexity. And if it does that, then why punt to God? And moreover, as we've seen, he's got an argument, an objection against the divine hy design hypothesis. Namely, it leaves unaddressed the question, who designed the designer? So. I, I think he's, he's, pre, he's presenting an argument here. He's not just denying the scientific method that we should go on the basis of observation. Go ahead. What's your well, second then, point? Uh, well, you know, related to that, why, why would you have any more confidence in observations related to evolution, uh, you know, mm -hmm. if you couldn't draw any conclusions from, from the weight of your observations? But secondarily, it, why would... Why would evolution or any naturalism or materialism be any better explanation for what you observe. Uh, uh, I don't see how that would follow from... Well, obviously, at this section of the class, we are not discussing evidence for a designer based on biology. We've, we've done an end run around that to go back to these initial conditions in physics. When we get to the section of the course on doctrine of creation, we'll take up this question again. Um, it's in the Defenders 2 series, if anybody is interested in looking at that, but we'll revisit it again as we come to it in Defenders 3. Yes, Stephanie. I'm befuddled by the conclusion drawn by Dawkins based on these six. What, what rule of logic is he purporting to be using <laughs> in this? And what does he say when you say, that's not a reasonable conclusion. He's never responded to my critiques. I published them, and he, 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 his response to me is that I am an odious man. <laughs> but that, that's about it. That's, so, that conclusion doesn't follow but I mean, either. It, it really is remarkable to think that you could grant all six of these statements, and it, the conclusion doesn't follow. By any rule of logic. No, there's no nothing that would permit that. Wow. Let, let's go to Cindy here. Before I ask my question, can you repeat the challenge as he stated it? The challenge, I think, if I understand what you mean, is that um, uh, the number three says we should resist the temptation to infer a designer because it leaves unaddressed the question, who designed the designer? 
Okay, I, I guess, well, the point I was trying to make is I think um, when knowing Dawkins, if the real first foundational belief, there is no God, uh, it seems to me. Therefore, he's trying to find out an explanation to, a, to not to contradict his belief. Mm -hmm. So for him, Darwinism was the answer to explain yeah. development of life and its life forms. And therefore, he thinks for physics, there's got to be an explanation we haven't seen yet. So I think in his, I know he says the conclusion is God is not probable, is not the probable cause, but it just seems to me he's, I don't know, maybe I'm yeah, that, that's not his conclusion though, Cindy. The conclusion is therefore God almost certainly does not exist. Right. I, I know now, it doesn't. So if follow. you're right about his presupposing it, he's arguing in a circle. Then he is. It, it, it's, it, it's I just circular. think that I think the whole point of it was he. He has decided through whatever that God does not exist. Therefore, he is trying to explain circularly uh -huh. why there is no God. You know, we have we, we have two areas to be concerned about: the physical, and then the the you know the physical side, biological. and the biological and physical uh, physics. And so he's explained it to himself on the biological side, and and he said, "See, we found Darwinism." to explain that side, mm -hmm. and we just haven't come across the other one yet. Yeah, I can understand someone arguing, given naturalism, given atheism, the best explanation of biological complexity is Darwinian evolution. In fact, Philip Johnson, who started the intelligent design movement, agrees with that. He says, if I were a naturalist, I would say the best explanation is Darwinism. But, of course, that begs the question whether naturalism and atheism is true. And the way Dawkins presents this is as an objection to the argument for design. This is uh, not a discussion of creation evolution. This is his chapter on arguments for the existence of God. And he wants to refute the design argument. And you can't do that by arguing in a circle, right? Correct. That, that's the point. Okay. Uh, Dennis. I understand that the orthodox theologian David Bentley Hart says that intelligent design is not, he doesn't like it. He doesn't uh -huh. think that it's a solution to your um, interchange with Dawkins. And I've tried to find something in writing, but all we have is a YouTube video of David Bentley Hart saying that he doesn't like the, you know, design is, intelligent design is bad theology. And I was I just see. wondering if he knew more about what he had said. Only a little bit. Kevin and I recorded a podcast this week on David Bentley Hart's uh, allegation that people like Alvin Plantinga, Richard Swinnon, Byrne, and myself hold us something called theistic personalism. Uh, that is to say, you think of God as a person who intervenes in the world to bring about, say, intelligent life or something of that sort. And Hart is a Thomist who thinks of God in very abstract terms, as the pure act of being. Um, on Thomism, we don't really have any positive knowledge of the essence of God because God is the pure act of being and so cannot be grasped by the intellect. And so there's a, a kind of agnosticism about the nature of God that attends Thomism. And that among other things, disinclines me to Thomism. I, I don't like this 
theology. So probably that's reflected in his claim that this is an inadequate theology because it's not Thomistic, I suspect. Yes, back here. What's the title of the podcast that addresses that? Well, I don't know what the title will be. Um, or how would I find it? Well, you will listen to our Reasonable Faith podcasts every Monday over the next several weeks. <laughs> and eventually, in the queue, will appear this podcast recorded about David Bentley Hart and his critique of theistic personalism. But Fair where enough. Kevin puts it in the lineup, that's up to him. What is uh, au courant in the culture will come to the head of the queue. So it'll, it'll come sometime. One near the head of the queue, I might say, that is interesting to watch out for is on the controversy arising from Wheaton College's firing one of its faculty for saying that, the, that Muslims worship the same God that Christians do. And the Christian philosopher Frank Beckwith at Baylor University has come to her defense saying that Christians do worship the same God as Muslims. And so I'm responding to Frank's article in um, this podcast and showing why I think his argument fails. So that will be one, too, that will be interesting to see. All right, well, we've talked about the invalidity of Dawkins' argument. That is to say, even granted the truth of those six steps, the conclusion doesn't follow. But what about those six steps? Um, are they true? Does his argument succeed in undermining the argument for design? Well, I don't think it does at all, because I think that some of the steps in Dawkins' argument are plainly false. Notice that step five, which says we don't have an equivalent explanation for physics, um, is a reference to the fine-tuning that we've been talking about. And Dawkins admits that he has nothing by way of an explanation for it. And so the hope that is expressed in six, that we shouldn't give up hope of a better explanation, um, is just nothing more than the faith of a naturalist. It's the naturalist's faith that some explanation will be forthcoming. Moreover, consider step three of the argument. That was that the temptation to infer design is a false one because the designer hypothesis immediately raises the larger problem of who designed the designer. His claim here is that you're not justified in inferring design as an explanation of the complex order of the universe because then a new problem arises, namely, who designed the designer? Now, I have a couple of problems with this step in the argument. First, this claim is flawed, I think, on at least two grounds. First, in order to recognize an explanation as the best, you don't need to have an explanation of the explanation. This is an elementary point in the philosophy of science. For example, if archaeologists digging in the ground were to come across things looking like pottery shards and arrowheads and tomahawk heads, they would be justified in inferring that these were the artifacts uh, left by a lost group of people. 
rather than the products of sedimentation and metamorphosis, even if they had absolutely no idea or explanation of who these people were. Or similarly, if astronauts were to come upon a pile of machinery on the backside of the moon, they would be justified in inferring that that was left there by intelligent agents. <clears throat> Pardon me. Even if they had no idea whatsoever who those agents were or how they got there. In order to recognize an explanation as the best, you don't need to have an explanation of the explanation. Could you bring me a glass of water to wet my throat? <clears throat> or something uh, liquid? What? Oh. <laughs> um, so you don't need to have an explanation of the explanation in order to recognize that an explanation is the best. In fact, if you think about it, that requirement would lead to an infinite regress of explanations so that nothing would ever get explained. For before any explanation could be accepted as the best, you'd need to have an explanation of the explanation. But before you could accept that, you'd need an explanation of the explanation of the explanation. And before you could accept that, you'd need an explanation of the explanation of the explanation of the explanation, and so on and so forth. Nothing could ever be explained, and science would be destroyed. So in the case at hand, in order to recognize that intelligent design is the best explanation of the appearance of design in the universe, you don't need to be able to explain the designer. Whether the designer has an explanation can simply be left an open question for further inquiry. Second problem with step three, Dawkins thinks that in the case of a divine designer of the universe, the designer is just as complex as the thing to be explained, and so no explanatory advance is made. Now, this objection raises all sorts of questions about the role played by simplicity in assessing competing explanations. For example, there are many other factors that scientists consider besides simplicity when they weigh the um, question of which explanation is the best. For example, they'll consider explanatory scope or explanatory power or other theoretical virtues. An explanation which has broader explanatory scope might be preferred over a simpler explanation simply because it explains more things. So simplicity is not the only and not even the most important criterion in assessing theories. But we can just leave those questions to the side. Dawkins' fundamental mistake lies in his assumption that a divine designer is just as complex as the universe. And this is plainly false. As a pure mind, Without a body, God is a remarkable, uh, simple entity. A mind or a soul is not a physical object composed of parts. 
in contrast to the contingent and variegated universe with all of its inexplicable constants and quantities, a divine mind is startlingly simple. Now, certainly it's true that such a mind may have complex ideas. It might be thinking, for example, of the infinitesimal calculus. But the mind itself is a remarkably simple entity having no parts out of which it's composed. Dawkins has evidently confused a mind's ideas, which may indeed be complex, with a mind itself, which is a remarkably simple entity. And so, in fact, postulating a divine mind behind the appearance of design in the cosmos actually does represent an advance in simplicity. It is a simpler explanation than just saying the universe is fine-tuned the way it is by chance. So his argument fails on multiple accounts. Um, it's not true that simplicity is the most important or only factor in assessing explanations. And moreover, the explanation of a divine mind is more simple than the complex and variegated universe. And so it seems to me that of the three alternatives before us, physical necessity, chance, or design, the most plausible of these three is design. Any comments or questions about those objections to Dawkins' argument? Cody. So one thing I was pondering, I know the argument doesn't argue to a specific Christian concept of God, but I was still thinking, considering we are Christians here and we believe that God, you know, you talk about God, a mind is a simple thing, but we also believe God is a trinity, right? You know, three persons, yeah. one being. I mean, what if somebody says, well, but you believe God is a trinity, but that's not, that doesn't sound like a simple explanation, this idea of three persons, right. one being. So, or does so it just I think, not factor I, I into think the argument? It, you would be unjustified to infer to the trinity as the best explanation right. of design. I think that's, that's right. That would be an ad hoc hypothesis for which there's no justification. So this gives you a personal, intelligent designer of the universe, but whether he's a trinity or not, that's going to depend upon divine revelation or other factors. The argument doesn't draw the conclusion that therefore a trinity is the best explanation of the um, appearance of design. Elizabeth. So to me, I'm writing a chapter on philosophy of neuroscience right now. Wow. Um, and, well, it's on my mind. Um, and so, oh. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that you admit that you really? have a mind. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. I didn't mean to do that. Uh, <laughs> promised I'd it's hard stop to avoid. science puns. Okay. So, anyways, to me it seems that simplicity is rarely even a consideration um, from both mm. a philosophical point of view, trying to explain physical phenomena, um, or just a scientific method sort of view, yeah. and rather uh, incremental validity or additional explanatory power offered yes. by an account yes. of some sort of phenomenon or entity uh, is really what matters, because that's what avoids just unnecessary, redundant, or contrived there you go. detail. Okay, you're, you've, you've said it well, and as I indicated, this appeal to simplicity on Dawkins' part raises a whole host of questions about what are 
theoretical virtues of scientific theories that would make one preferable to another. And I think one of the points that you're spotting here is that Dawkins glosses or, or con conflates the simplicity of the hypothesis with the simplicity of the entity that the hypothesis posits. And a hypothesis can be very simple in terms of its explanatory power. It doesn't add these ad hoc devices like that the explanation is a trinity or that it's purple or those would be a violation of Occam's razor or simplicity. You, you don't want to posit any more causes than are necessary to explain the effect. That's what Elizabeth is pointing out. But the causes that you do postulate might themselves be quite complex entities, DNA molecules and all sorts of other things. So you're quite right in saying that there's a confusion, I think, going on here in Dawkins' mind. Yes, I don't know the name of this fellow in front of Bo, but there we are. Hi, I'm Scott. Hi, Scott. Um, so the explanation of the explanation argument kind yes. of, to me, sounds like a three-year-old kid just asking his parents over and over again. <laughs> Why? Why? Um, but doesn't, uh, doesn't he run into the same problem of needing an explanation of the explanation? I mean, it doesn't just apply to the designer. It applies to the the mechanisms of the naturalistic world too sure. you end up coming to a beginning somewhere so yeah, you're absolutely right i mean <clears throat> this is so where does dawkins <clears throat> though end up out of the three choices i mean it's not design <clears throat> so where does he end up on the other two is is he is yeah. he going with chance there well i don't think he has any explanation for fine tuning all he has is a hope that something will emerge in physics that is comparable in power to Darwinian evolution in biology. And he would see Darwinian evolution as a combination of chance and necessity. The mutations, I think he would say, occur by chance, and then natural selection operates deterministically on the chance mutations to weed out those that are unfit and can't survive in the struggle for survival. So he would see that explanation as a kind of combination of chance and necessity. But he offers nothing with regard to the fine-tuning. He admits he, he doesn't have an explanation. Bo? I wonder what you think about a potential rejoinder that you might get regarding the um, idea that the mind is simple. Of course, it's not composed of parts, I think um, I, I would agree. But it seems to me that there can be lesser and greater minds in the sense of... Um, they can vary in their faculties sure. and their and how those re, those faculties relate to one another. So you know, I might have uh, um, my beliefs might inform my desires, and there can be various. I don't know, may, perhaps complex isn't the right word to use, but I, 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 our minds are certainly more complex in their rational faculties than some any animal mind that might exist. And yes. conversely, and on the other end of the spectrum, <clears throat> God's mind is perhaps potentially infinitely more complex in his maybe complex isn't the right word to use, but in his faculties and how those faculties might work with one another. So even with a single mind, can you not have varying degrees of um, complex faculties mm -hmm. or, or, or additional faculties? Well, I would say two things in response to that. First, that the way Dawkins himself defines simplicity 
is in terms of physical composition. If you look at the, the way in which he discusses his objection, he's saying that things that are composed of parts are more complex than simple things like electrons, for example. So it's his own concept of simplicity that's at work here in the objection. But then secondly, I would say that even though a soul or mind might have complexity with regard to its faculties, like intellect, volition, maybe emotion, still, this is not very complex. That they, they might be very powerful faculties, but I don't see that that is a sort of objectionable complexity that would be anywhere like the complexity of a fine-tuned universe. Remember the odds we talked about, one part out of 10 to the 120th power and so forth. Um, there's nothing comparable to that in, in the faculties that God has, I would say. Brad, or at least Bo, what we could say is that there's no reason to postulate that kind of complexity in such a design argument, uh, that we're not asserting that. So we get to a, a relatively simple designer. Yes? I, I'm a little baffled by the simplicity argument. And I understand in the design argument, we say we take simple parts and we, put, we take all these simple parts and we put them together in a unique way that can't be evolved. And none of these parts will do this. None of them have any value whatsoever. But when I put them together in a unique way, it has function, like yes. the mousetrap is, right. is one I always like. So, you know, his argument that I've got to find something to break it all down into simple parts to assemble in a unique way is the idea of design. But the idea of a designer is a designer can go immediately to the complex and not put it together with simple parts. So I, I, I think he's trying to find a naturalistic uh, yeah. solution to saying, well, you've got to have all these simple parts um, that uh, could be put together uniquely, and that's design. Well, God didn't do it that way. Right. The objection here is that postulating a divine designer, God, is somehow postulating a very complex entity, uh, and th that that's objectionable. It, it needs Why? Well, because then you've postulated something just as complex to explain something complex, and he thinks that's illegitimate. Now, as I say, that raises all these questions about simplicity and explanatory power that are wrong, but in any case, it seems to me he's just fundamentally incorrect in thinking that a divine designer is a complex entity. His thoughts might be complex, uh, his activities could be complex, but a mind, a pure mind without any body has no composition. It's not made up of parts. At most you could say maybe it has diverse faculties, but that's still very simple. So I'm suggesting even on his misconceived argument, and I do think it's misconceived, he hasn't shown that a divine designer is a complex entity. Uh, on the contrary, theologians and philosophers would typically say that God is very simple. All right, well with that we're out of time, and so we draw our conclusion then that the best explanation of the fine-tuning of the universe is design, so that now we have a third argument in our cumulative case for the existence of God. Let's close with a benediction. 
And now may the God of all power who brought into existence the world from nothing empower you to live a holy and fruitful life this week in his service. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The copyright for the content of this recording is held by Dr. William Lane Craig. For more, go to reasonablefaith.org.